Welcome to the sermon podcast of Southside Baptist Church, a body of Christ located in beautiful Norman Park, Georgia. We are so glad you chose to listen in today. It's our prayer you would find the message of Jesus Christ compelling and uplifting, and that your life would be changing continually from hearing the Word of God. If you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. And now for today's message. Amen. Any good to know that the Lord takes us as we are? Turn with me to the book of Joshua. I'm going to continue in our series in Joshua. We're talking about that series title, that strong and courageous living in a dangerous world. And again, as I've said previously, we live in a dangerous world. And the world continues to get even more and more dangerous as we move uh, forward. This morning we're going to see this, moving on in faith. We're going to move on in faith this morning with Joshua and the Israelites. Joshua chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 43. We're not going to, obviously, we're not going to read all those verses, but we're going to walk through uh, those verses. This morning, we're going to, for our first reading, I'm going to read verses 1 through uh, 15 uh, this morning as we begin. So if you found that, Joshua chapter 10. Starting in verse 1, please stand as we honor the reading of God's holy, infallible word uh, this morning. The Bible says this, As soon as Adonai, Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly. Because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, and to Jephiah, king of Lachish, and to Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. Verse 6, And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. And so Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal, and the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascents at Beth Horon, and struck them as far as Ezekah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent at Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large hailstones from heaven and on them as far as Ezekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still in the Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Agilon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven, and did not hurry to set for about a day. There has not there has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. In verse fifteen, so Joshua returned, and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Father, we thank you for the day, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity. 
God, we've seen your faithfulness. We've seen your power. We've seen your presence in the midst of, of the people of Israel as, they, as they've walked uh, into the promised land and they've moved about in the promised land. Father, we're going to see that faithfulness again. We're going to see those promises honored again today, Lord. And we oftentimes will, all the time, Lord, we have to move on in faith. We're going to move on one way or the other, Lord, but I pray that we move on in faith as we move forward in this life. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It was February of 2007 when a deadly tornado tore through central Florida, striking at the most inopportune time between 3 and 4 a.m. in the morning and smashing almost everything in its path, as tornadoes often do. Twenty people lost their lives, and the community suffered tremendous destruction. At that time, it was the second deadliest tornado in Florida history. In fact, one resident described the tornado this way, hell opened up and half the demons came out. The Lady Lake Church of God was destroyed. The 31-year-old steel and force structure was built to withstand 150 mile per hour winds, said the Reverend Larry Lynn. But even that did not stop the tornado from leaving the church pews, uh, altars, and Bibles in a jumbled, leveled mess. By daybreak, however, parishioners had gathered on the lot where the church once stood. They were hugging one another and they were consoling Reverend Lynn. They planned to clear the debris and hold Sunday services on that empty lot. This is what one said. That's just the building. The people are the church. We'll be back bigger and stronger. We'll move forward. We are going to be fine. Another church member quoted as saying this. We don't need the building. We have Jesus. The Lady of the Lake Church exactly where they were not have known exactly what they were not were going to do they may not have known exactly where they were going to meet but what they did know is they were going to move forward they were going to move forward regardless of having a place to meet regardless of knowing what they were going to do they knew that they were going to move forward because they had faith and they were going to move forward in that faith they knew there would be opposition Just a place to meet would be opposition. But they knew that they were going to move forward in faith because they knew a couple of things. They knew, one, that God would respond, as God always does. And the second thing is they knew that God would deliver. He would deliver. So for the Israelites, they stared down the opposition. They stared down those opponents. It's a similar plot as they continue to move through The promised land. We've seen it over and over and over again as we've moved through our scriptures in Joshua. But now they would not only fight uh, for themselves, but because they had made that agreement, they had made that covenant with the people of Gibeon, they would also have to fight for the Gibeonites as well. So even in their defense of Gibeon, God was going to show up and God was going to show out. God was going to provide a great defense for the people of Gibeon. He was going to give the people of Israel another great victory. The people of Israel needed to do something. They needed to move forward in faith. They needed to move forward in faith because they needed to understand that God would respond. God has responded through this whole thing. We've seen the faithfulness of God. We've seen the promises of God. We've seen the people of God as they move forward in the promised land. God would respond and God would deliver. And so the people of Israel, here's our point this morning. The people of Israel, they, they needed to continue into the promised land, but they needed to do it in faith. They needed to move forward in faith. And for us as Christians, when we move forward, and we're going to have to move forward, we cannot stand still if we want to work, walk with God and move with God. But when we do move forward, we need to move forward in faith. In faith. And so we're going to see three things this morning when we understand 
uh, how we can move forward in faith. We're going to see those in our, our scripture as well. Number one, if you've got your outline, follow along with me on your outline. If we're going to move forward in faith, we need to understand something. We need to understand that there's going to be oppositions. There's going to be opposition. And so we need to trust that opposition will increase. That opposition will increase. Look at verses 1 through 5. And as soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its kings as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Pyram, king of Jarmuth, and to Jephiah, king of Lachish, and to Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Verse 5, Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, they gathered their forces, went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. Have you ever noticed that when you choose a side, it seems the ones that are opposed that side become more determined? They become more interested in opposing you, whatever side you may be on. We can rest assured, church, that when our faith increases... And we begin to move forward in our faith. There's going to be opposition. We're going to face those roadblocks. Those people that are going to stand up and be opposed to our faith. Be opposed to us walking in faith. You think about our culture today. Think about our culture today. 1 Peter 4, uh, verse 12 it's, uh, twelve and, 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 and following. It says this, Beloved, Listen to what Peter says. He says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In verse 15, he says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. When we suffer for Christ, when we when those opponents come upon us and those opponents increase, and I can assure you they will, it's oftentimes, listen, when we... One of the things that I've often understood in my walk as a Christian, when I am closest to God, when I am closest to God, that is when the devil works the hardest. He works overtime. He works overtime to beat me and down and batter me. And maybe many of you have experienced that same thing as well. But the Gibeonites, they'd made peace with the people of God. They were now on the side of the people uh, with God. And so they were going to begin to face that kind of opposition. They were going to, going to begin to face the things that the people of God were going to face. It didn't, they, were, they, 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 they did this to, to, uh, to uh, spare themselves from destruction. If you remember back in chapter 9. Think about that. That's a picture of salvation, isn't it? It's a picture of salvation. Salvation is peace with God. Salvation is peace with God. We are, when, before we are saved, we are at enmity with God. We are opposed to the things of God. The Gibeonites that wanted to make peace with the people of God so they could spare themselves from destruction. We want to make peace with God so we can spare ourselves from destruction. A wonderful picture of salvation here. The Gibeonites, they wanted to be saved. They wanted to be saved. But that, of course, is not why the king of Jerusalem was so angry. The Bible says he feared. That means to be afraid of. Why was he afraid? Because he had heard what the people of, uh, of Joshua had done. He had heard what the, the Joshua had done to, to Jericho. Joshua had done to Ai. 
And ultimately he feared because the people of Gibeon were no longer now, they were no longer foe, they were no longer friends, but they were foes. I mean, this king ultimately probably counted on the people of Gibeon to be on his side when they went to battle against the people of Israel. And so now he's thinking to himself, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. These people of Gibeon, they're no longer on our side. They're no longer a part of us, but they're a part of the people of God. And the people of Gibeon, they were apparently a formidable foe. They would have been a formidable foe, but they would have also been a formidable ally. They were a great city. They were a royal city, it says. They had a lot. There were mighty men of valor. Their men of the city were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, has lost a valuable ally. Do you realize that when someone comes to faith in Christ, Satan has lost a valuable ally. A valuable ally. And the people of God have gained an ally. But they were no longer considered allies, but enemies. Not friends, but foes. So the king says, listen, I have no other option. So instead of gathering the people of Gibeon, he says, listen, I want to get the people around me. I want to get the other kings around me. Those other kings of, of Hebron and Jarmuth and Lachish and Debir. I want to gather those kings together and we're going to go against Gibeon. I want to gather our forces together. Listen, again, this is the opposition. Okay, this is the opposition that gathers together against the people of God. So when we become disciples of Christ, when we become on God's side, we can expect the opposition to increase. We are no longer friends of the world. And when you're no longer friends of the world, listen, they will do whatever it takes to beat you up and batter you. They'll insult you. Think about Moses. Think about Moses. Moses faced opposition. Moses has just led the people of Israel out of Egypt. And not long after that, what happens? They start opposing him. Oh, goodness, we were going to starve in the wilderness. There was opposition to Moses. Noah. Think about the opposition that Noah faced. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us anything about the people of God uh, or the people around Noah other than they were, they were just full of evil. But I think we can safely imply that there were a lot of jeers and a lot of snickering at Noah. You mean you're going to build a what? A boat? It's going to rain? What? It's never rained. You're going to build a boat big enough to house what? So you can imagine that Noah faced opposition. David faced opposition. His own son was opposed to him. Elijah faced opposition. Elisha faced opposition. The apostles faced opposition. You think about the opposition that the apostle Paul faced. But think about the opposition that our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ faced. That opposition led to his death on that cross. For nothing that he did. Nothing that he did. The great heroes of faith, they all experienced opposition. And we will experience opposition. Why do we seem to think that we are any better than they are? We're not any better than they are. We follow the same God that they followed. We have the same spirit living with us that that they had. We're going to face opposition. We're going to experience opposition. And so we need to move into that opposition with faith. We need to lean into it, knowing that it's, it's okay, it's real, it's going to happen. The story is told of a pastor who sent some of his associate pastors into a local village there in India. They, they evangelized by knocking on doors, and as God brought in healing and deliverance to the families of the village, they would come to Christ. At one point, they knocked on the door of a policeman. The policeman was very active in one of the political parties that was very much against Christianity. The pastors were arrested immediately. 
They were arrested for praying for people and carted off to the local prison. But it gets better. When the pastor who sent them into the village heard about their arrest, he went to the jail to try and convince the authorities that these men were not doing anything wrong. All they were doing was preaching the gospel. All they were doing was sharing the good news of Christ with the people there in India. Unfortunately, this is what happened to the pastor. Before he arrived at the prison, a mob of 50 people assaulted the pastor, beating him up and knocking him unconscious. All because he was going to help his brothers in Christ. Some friends of the pastor found him and took him to the hospital. He later went back to the prison and convinced the authorities to free his colleagues. They went on doing ministry in the village. They wanted the people of India to know the love of Christ. They moved on in faith despite the severe opposition. May it not surprise us, church, when opposition begins to increase. And you look around at our culture, opposition is beginning to increase. Luke 21, 16 through 19 says, You will be delivered up. Listen to this now. Listen, listen, listen. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Those who align themselves with God are at enmity with the forces of the world. And the world will be relentless in their desire to destroy the things of God. And that includes the people of God. That includes the people of God. But the people of God, we can move on in faithful obedience. Why? Because we know that we have the power and the presence of God fighting for us. And regardless, church, regardless of what happens, regardless of how bad they beat us, regardless of where we end up, listen, we still have the Lord. And we still have the promise of eternal life. The promise of eternal life. We just need to be faithful. We just need to endure. So opposition is going to increase. But when it does, we must continue to move on in faith. We need a not fear. Why? Because our point number two, we need to trust that the Lord will respond. The Lord will respond. Those moments of increased opposition, you and I can endure because we have faith in the Lord. We know that the Lord will respond. When we have faith in God, we have faith in the character of God. We have faith in the character of God. Listen, we have faith in the faithfulness of God. God honors His covenant. He's going to see, we're going to see that with the people of Gibeon. Character of God. God is gracious. God is merciful. God honors His promises. Although we all want to be trustworthy people. Although we all want to have a character that is impeccable and blameless. The only one that has a perfect character that you and I can rely on is God himself. He is faithful. He is gracious. He is merciful. He honors his promises. And we could go on and on and on about the character of God. But when we move on in faith, we know that God is going to respond. Because God is Faithful. We can trust the faithfulness of God. We can trust that God will respond. But here's what we need to understand. We have a role to play. I want to see a couple things as we walk through these verses. Look at verse 6. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. Notice. The urgent plea for help here for the Gibeonites. They cried out to the people of God, help us. Come to our rescue. It says, they said, do not really. And God is going to honor that. Do not abandon us. Remember, they'd made a covenant with the people of God. And God is going to honor that covenant. He's going to send help. And our opposition increases because of our peace with God. 
Now think about this. It would have been easy for the Gibeonites to give up. It would have been easy for the Gibeonites to throw in the towel and say, oh, well, we're just going to we're just going to give in to these five kings as they come and as they come to us. They could have refused to accept. They could have gone back to the alliance with 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 Adonai Zegat. They could they could have just given up on that alliance they had with Israel. Notice they said they're servants. They knew where they were. They, they recognized their position before Israel. They didn't try to make peace with the king. Notice also they didn't try to rely on self-sufficiency. What did they do? They called out to the people of God to respond to their urgent plea for help. Why is it that we tend to oftentimes, in the midst of our opposition, we want to rely on ourselves? We want to rely on ourselves to get out of opposition. We want to rely on ourselves to get through the things. We want to make peace with things that we shouldn't be making peace with. We want to make peace, church. We want to make peace with God. We want to cry out to God for help because He is the only one that can help. Remember, God knows that this opposition is coming upon you. He's already seen that. He saw that before you were even created. He saw that before the beginning of time. So don't you think he's already prepared it by the time that the opposition comes? Yes, he's already prepared a way out for you. We just need to rest in God. We need to just cry out to God uh, for help. Stop relying on ourselves. Stop relying on all these other things that we, you and I seem to rely on. This is another perfect picture of salvation. Think about the lost person. Think about the lost person. The only way that that lost person is going to be saved is to do what? Cry out to the Lord for help. Cry out to the Lord for help. The sinner cries out to God. But for those of us who are saved, listen, this is for us too in our repentance. Listen, we know that we're, that we're a sinner. We, we know that we've, we've failed God. So when we fail God, we cry out to God in repentance because God is the only one that can forgive us from our sin. I can't forgive you from your sin. The priest can't forgive out to God. Confessing is the one that forgives us from our sins. And we cry out to God. Confessing our sins, confessing our, our condition, turning from our sin and turning to God. And when we cry out to God for help, it's a recognition of who God is and what God can do. When we rely on ourselves, it's just the opposite. When I rely on myself, had the Gibeonites relied on themselves, it would have been like, hey, we got this. I don't need you, God. I can overcome my opposition on my own. I can overcome my opposition on my own. And notice what happens in verses 7 through 15. It says, So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. Verse 8, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord on the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said this, Sun, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Agilon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. What you see here is God responds. The Lord indeed responds. I want to notice two things in these this passages of Scripture. We'll see the first, the message. The message. Notice what God says to Joshua. 
And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them. You see two things in this message. We see encouragement and we see assurance. That do not fear them. That's an imperative. That's a command from God. Do not fear them, Joshua. Do not fear your opposition, Joshua. And God says the same thing to us. When we fear, it means that we do not believe. What do we not believe? We do not. That's what fear is. He says he is, and God can do what he says he can do. That's what fear is. It's just unbelief. Being afraid. David talks about, you know, why should we be afraid of man? Why, why should I be afraid of, uh, of man? You know, Paul talks about, watch, don't be afraid of the one who can kill body only. Be afraid of the one who can kill body and soul. But it's encouragement. He said, listen, Joshua, do not fear them. Do not fear these five kings. Why? And then he goes on to give him the assurance. Here's the assurance, and this is the assurance for us as well. For I have given them into your hands. Again, it's past tense. God had already given the people into the hands of Joshua and the Israelites. All they needed to do was take what God had already given. It says, not a man of them shall stand before you. Not a man. It's reminiscent of Joshua chapter 1 verse 5. When God says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. Or forsake you. It's the exact same thing for us. It's the exact same thing for us. God encourages us. We do not need to fear. We don't need to fear the world. We don't need to fear the the, the secular world. This pagan world. Why? Because God has already given. Listen. Jesus won the battle on the cross church. When Jesus died on the cross, he overcomes Satan. He overcomes death. What in the world are we scared of? What are we worried about? I believe that because of this encouragement and this assurance that the Lord gave to Joshua, that was why Joshua and his men could march up all night long. And when they marched all night long, then they had to battle when they got there. Marched over and elevated up. I'll give you some statistics here. Joshua and his men, they, they marched over an eleva- up an elevation of 3,300 feet. Okay. That's, a, that's a pretty large elevation. It was over a distance of 20 miles that Joshua and the men marched all night long. And it took 8 to 10 hours. You think they would have been tired? I'm pretty sure they would have been tired. I'm pretty sure they would have been tired. You think God knew that? I'm pretty sure God knew that. So God encouraged Joshua. Listen, man, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to fear anything, Joshua. I got this. I got this. I've given him to you, Joshua. Not a man's going to stand before you. It's really interesting. That was the message that God gave. But I want you to notice the methods that God used here as well. The response of the Lord, listen, it was nothing but miraculous. And it was all God. It was all God. In verse 10, look what God did. He said, and the Lord threw them into panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Ezekiah and Makeda. God knew that Joshua and the men would be tired. So what did he do? He just threw the other, the, 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 the five kings, he threw them into a panic. Have you seen a group of people when they're in, in, in a panic? They don't know which way to go. Left, right, up, down. It doesn't make any difference. Joshua, God threw the people into a panic. They were confused. It would allow Joshua to have that surprise attack. Notice what God does in, in verse 11. And he says, and, and as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Ezekiel, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. 
stones there. God threw stones down from heaven. We see a, a similar thing in Exodus. In Job chapter 38. In Revelation chapter 16 verse 21. But notice what the Bible says. He says there were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. What does that imply? It was God that won the battle. It was the Lord that won the battle. I imagine Joshua standing there watching these hailstones fall from heaven. I mean, can you imagine it? I mean, picture that from heaven. There, you're ready for battle, and all of a sudden, these hailstones start falling from heaven. You're standing there, and the, the enemy is standing right beside you. The hailstones, they're large stones. I don't know how big large is, but when I think large, I think large. You know, I've seen golf ball size hail, and I've sometimes maybe maybe, maybe you've seen softball size hail, but I imagine this was boulder size hail that God was throwing down from heaven. But can you imagine you're standing there, and all of a sudden your enemy gets smashed with a hailstone from heaven? Thank you, Lord. Thank you. But that's what our God does, church. That's how powerful and how mighty our God is. But listen, that wasn't it. That wasn't all. At that time, he said, verse 12, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said, in the sight of Israel's sun, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Agilon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Joshua? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for a whole day. And there's been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Joshua has seen the hailstones. He's seen the hailstones. He said, listen, man, let's just take this up a notch. Lord, I've seen what you can do. Let me cry out to you. God, let the sun stand still. Let the day uh, be, be here. Let the sunshine just, just be around, God, so we can continue your work. And God responds. He responds to the cry of his servant. Now, there's all kinds. There, there's several different historical debates about what really happened here with the sun standing still. Some say it was a local miracle, similar to what God did in 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 in, in to the Egyptians back in the uh, the uh, the uh, plagues. The text here it doesn't indicate that. It indicates that there was an actual change in the Earth's rotation. When it says the sun did not set. Some say this language is poetic. It shouldn't, shouldn't be taken literally. Well, if we can't take this literally, if we have to take this figuratively, then what other events are we going to take figuratively? The resurrection? Is it just a figurative event? I think not. For some, when they apply these figurative interpretations, it's just the difficult text. It's just how they explain those difficult texts. Well, that's the easy way out. Some say maybe it's an eclipse that gave the appearance of a long day which the sun did not set. Usually last hours they usually last. They debunk that by saying the eclipses they don't usually last. They uh, they don't usually last hours. They usually last minutes. And God timed this miraculous event to coincide with Joshua's prayer one moment and his moment of need. But I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you what it is. We can take this passage literally we can take this passage at face value our god our god performed a miracle he caused the sun to delay setting god stopped the motion of the earth and listen this should be simple for us to understand because who created the sun who created the moon come on church god So if God created it, don't you think he can make it stand still if he says, son, stand still? Don't you think he can put his hand on the earth and stop the earth from moving and stop the earth from rotating? Man, it's good stuff. This is good stuff. Our God, this is the God that we serve. And we worry about our opponents. Why? Why do we worry? This is the God that you and I serve. He he stopped the rotation of the earth that he created. 
Matthew 19.26 is when he asked his disciples in reference to the rich, who can be saved? Jesus responded, uh, with this, with man, this is impossible. But with God, what does he say? All things are possible, even stopping the rotation of the earth. So Joshua could do what he needed to do. So Joshua could finish his work. 2012, there was a F3 tornado that went through Mount Sterling, Kentucky. And that was when Dana and I and the boys, we still lived in Kentucky. And we were over the youth there in Kentucky at our church at Wildwood. And we responded several days later to that tornado. But I went as as a, a first responder with working for the fire department. I went the following Sunday uh, to uh, Mount Sterling. The destruction of that tornado was something that I had never seen before and never experienced in my entire life. But they tell the story of a, a couple that they were believers, they were followers of God. But the story goes that when that tornado came, the, the husband was an invalid. And so the wife couldn't get the husband out of the house. So they both decided that the husband would sit in his recliner and they would just endure that tornado and whatever, God, whatever happened is, 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 was God's will. The house was the foundation. And the recliner that that man was sitting in and his wife sitting there right beside him holding hands. That was what was left. That was what was left. That was God. That was God putting his hand over those two folks in that recliner and protecting them from that tornado. That is the God that you and I serve, church. That is the God we serve. Isaiah 12, 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord, God, is my strength and my song. And He has become my salvation. Our God is an awesome God. Amen? Amen. And when His children cry out to Him for help, He is faithful to respond. In fact, God is eager to hear the cries of His children. And finally, when that opposition does increase and God does respond, we can know one final thing. We can trust that the Lord will deliver. The Lord will deliver. God is going to finish what He started. Philippians 1.6, just read it. God is going to finish what He started. These kings, they made an escape. They'd gone out and they'd hid in the caves. That's where they found themselves. But I can tell you this, there's nowhere that they can hide and there's nowhere that we can hide from the vengeance of Almighty God. David makes this clear in Psalms 139. He says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The light, the night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. I'm going to read through this passage, but eventually these kings are judged. Joshua brings the kings out. He finishes his work there. Uh, in, 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 with the Gibeonites. He finishes his work. He destroys the people. He does what God has asked him to do. And when he finished, he said, bring out those kings. Those kings would pay for what they had done. Look with me at verses 24 and 25. It says, when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men uh, of war who had gone with him, come near. Put your feet on the necks of these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. They come near and put their feet on the necks of those kings. In ancient Near East times, victors would often come and they would put their uh, feet on the necks of those defeated foes. It was the symbol of supremacy. 
It underlies the notion of making one's enemy a footstool under their feet. Psalms 110.1 says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. footstool. Think about this with us as well. In a sense, our sin should be treated the same way. God delivers us from our sin. And when we have our sin, we throw our sin to the ground and we stomp on our sin. We put our feet on the neck of, the, of our sin and we say, listen, you're not going to overcome me, sin. Because I have a God who delivers. A God who delivers. You're not going to oppress me, sin. You're not going to oppress me, world. Makeda was delivered to destruction in verse 28. Libna was delivered to destruction in verse 29. Lachish was delivered to destruction in verses 31 through 32. Horam, king of Gezer, and his people were devoted to destruction. Eglon was devoted to destruction. Hebron was devoted to destruction in verses 36 and 37. Debir was devoted to destruction in 38 and 39. And all of this shows us and illustrates the Lord delivering His people out of the hands of the wicked. Joshua and the people of Israel, they acted in obedience to the commands of God. And God was faithful. He was faithful to deliver His people. God honors the promises that He makes to his people. The Lord delivered. Look at verse 40. And so Joshua struck the whole land, the hill country and the Negev and the lowland and the slopes and all the kings. He left none remaining but devoted to destruction all, the, all that breathed just as the Lord God of Israel commanded. And Joshua struck them at Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the, the country of Goshen as far as Gibeon and Joshua captured all these kings and their land at one time. This is listen to what he says in verse. The Bible says in verse forty. Why? Because the Lord God of Israel, uh, Lord God of Israel, fought for Israel. It was the Lord who delivered the people of Israel. It was the Lord who delivered the Gibeonites, and it is the Lord who delivers us. And we can trust in God. We we can trust in His promises and His faithfulness. There's not an opposition. What is become God's church? Who is the tail? I'm not going to overcome God's church. Who is the church? We are the church. We are the church. The Lord struck the whole land. That speaks of completeness. The Lord fought for Israel. It was brought about by the activity of God. God threw down the hailstones. God made the earth stop and the sun stand still. The Lord provided rest from their battles. In verse 43, Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. It was a place of rest. It was a place of rest. The Lord, the Lord is glorified in all this and the people benefited. After Joshua and the people are obedient to God. After God fulfilled his promises, after God did what God often does and God will do, he delivered the people. He responded. He delivered his people. He gave the people rest. Psalm 37, 40 says this, the Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. We will not be spared from the battles. We're going to face opposition. Some of that opposition is going to be strong. Those that are going to oppose us, as you can see already in our culture and in our world, they do it with zeal. They do it with zeal. Nonetheless, God will ultimately deliver the victory to those who put their complete faith in Him. So let me ask you this morning, do you have faith in God? So moving on in faith, listen, it requires the one who moves on in faith to have faith to move on in. You're going to have one of two kinds of faith. You're going to have faith in yourself, in the world, 
or you're going to have faith in God. Those are the only two kinds of faith you can have. Because if you have faith other than in God, then what do you have faith in? The world, yourself, your friends, your family, your job, all those other things. They could be gone just like that. Just like that. It's not an intellectual knowledge. It's not a belief that there is a God. Even the demons believe and know that there's a God. And they shudder, James says. This is a saving faith, church. It's based on a relationship. So I wonder this morning, do you have this kind of faith? Do you have a saving faith? I shudder to think that we face the opposition Those who are opposed to Christ without a relationship with Christ. I am a firm believer that without a relationship with Christ, you will not and I will not be able to face the things that we're going to face in the future. You're not going to be able to. You're in a cave. So if you don't have that relationship, if you don't have that initial faith, I pray that you get that initial faith. All it's simply saying is, Lord, little, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I don't have the faith that I need. I know that I haven't been saved. I know that I haven't trusted you as personal Lord and Savior. But I want to do that. You can cry out to God right there at your seat. But if you're a Christian this morning, listen, we have that faith. And when we move on in that faith, we're going to face opposition. You need to understand it. Don't be surprised by it. But when we face it, listen, we need to get on our hands and knees and cry out to God because God will respond to the cries of his people. And when he responds, he'll deliver. Was he going to deliver instantly? I don't know. I don't know. You know what? You may fight that opposition from the time that you enter into that opposition and that battle until the time that you take your last breath. But can I tell you this? When you take your last breath, guess what? You've been delivered by the Lord. Ultimate deliverance. Ultimate deliverance. Man, it doesn't get any better than that. So let me assure you, Christian, you're going to face that opposition, but you need to cry out to God, and He will respond. And when He responds, He's going to deliver one way or the other. Because our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. So the question this morning is this. Do you have the faith to move on? Let's pray. Thanks again for listening today. We hope the word preached today would be used by God mightily as you go about your week. Again, if you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. Have a blessed day and may God grant you grace this week to grow more into the likeness of Jesus.